When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to EcoChic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. Happy Tuesday. I'm really happy to have you here. If you're new, welcome. If you're returning, good to have you back. Before we get into today's episode, I want to make a couple of quick plugs, some like housekeeping type announcements. I would first like to encourage everyone to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening in the podcast app, it's super, super easy. You go to the show page, you scroll to the bottom, and there's a place for stars and written reviews. And I've always encouraged this, but I'm encouraging it a lot more lately because it's been so helpful in figuring out what y'all want to hear next and what really provides value, what you like, and how I can just continue improving the show for everybody. And I really do appreciate everyone who's reached out and given me any sort of feedback or support or anything of the sort. Everybody has been so, so great throughout the lifetime of this podcast, and I hope to continue putting out valuable information for everybody. And then my second housekeeping announcement is actually in reference to one of those feedback points that I received. I'm really interested in talking about dating as someone who lives a sustainable lifestyle. That was an episode request kind of recently. And while I could speak from my perspective and my experiences, I think it would be so much more helpful and way more interesting if a lot of people were able to speak on their experiences and kind of give little points about what it's like to date as someone who lives low impact or low waste, zero waste, or someone who only eats plant-based, or if there's other sustainable habits that you're really passionate about, how has that impacted your dating life? And if you're interested in talking to me a little bit about that, if you're interested in potentially being featured on an upcoming episode, I think it would be so much fun. I wish that I had a hotline that we could like call in, like something retro. But yeah, if you're interested in speaking on dating at all, I would love to hear from you. Send me a message. On Instagram is the easiest way, at Podcast, or my personal page is at Laura E. Diaz. But the EcoChic podcast page is something that I also want to encourage everyone to go and follow because I know that podcast listeners are absolutely not social media followers. And if you're not a follower of the EcoChic podcast page, I would like to encourage you at least to go check it out because it looks really good, first of all. It's like really cute and pink and it has some really great like early 2000s references. But I do want to also encourage everyone to go ahead and check out the resources that I like to share there. So if there's any like really great products in the more eco-friendly living space that I've received or that I'm using and I really enjoy, I will share them on that podcast Instagram page. I do also share quite a bit of recipes if you're interested in like plant-based recipes. Everything is always highlighted and saved so you can go back and refer to it. But I just wanna make sure that everyone knows that that podcast page is really active and it's being treated as a resource for everyone as well. And then on the topic of resources, I've been asked recently about 
recommendations for books and podcasts and documentaries and things like that. And I do have a resources page on my website, lauraediaz.com, and I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. It's always in the show notes, but the resources page specifically, it's like an actively updated growing page as I continue to find things that I really enjoy in more of like the climate learning space. So I'll link that down below. Show notes are always full of really great references and resources if you're interested. Today's episode is going to be all about energy and the grid. I think this is a really relevant conversation to have before the upcoming election cycle because as we start hearing from candidates, the topic of energy and clean energy and diversifying our grid and national security is going to come up quite a bit. And I think it's important for us to all be a little bit educated on what the basics are when it comes to our energy system and our dependencies in America. I think that I've talked about this experience before on the podcast, but I would like to just kind of let everyone know this little instance that happened to me in graduate school. One semester while I was in my master's program, I took an energy class. It was like an energy seminar that had this like long consulting project component attached to it. And we learned all about like where energy comes from and transmission. And we learned a lot about like rates and just energy utility companies and things of the sort. But on the first day of class, something that's always really going to stick to me, the professor came in and the first thing he said was, when you plug your laptop into the wall, do you ever think about where that's coming from? And I was just like shook. I was like, I don't even, I've never thought about that so deeply. And it really put into perspective how dependent we are on electricity and reliable electricity. And so that question of where does your energy even come from, that energy you're so dependent on, really encouraged me to invest myself in learning more about our electric dependencies as a whole, as a country. I am so interested in learning more about renewable energy, but also just carbon-free or lower carbon energy when it comes to coal, how that's impacting our economy. And it's something that I'm personally like really, really interested in. So I hope that this is helpful for everyone in kind of setting the scene as we go into the upcoming conversations of the election cycle, but also just like preparing ourselves to be really educated citizens and understanding what it is we're paying for when we're paying that electricity bill and what it is we are fighting for when we are heavily advocating for a renewable only system. So I think that this is gonna be a really, really fun episode. So let's first break down some definitions. The grid, what is the grid? I feel like when I say the grid, it's really similar to when people tell me the cloud because I have no idea what that means. And for the most part, we don't really talk a whole lot about the grid, but the grid is essentially a web of electricity production transmission, storage, and consumption. So production, how it's produced, transmission, how it gets from that production side to the battery type systems. And then consumption is like what you're doing every day at home. 85% of the world is on the grid, quote unquote. So that's both the developed world and much of the less developed countries that we have globally. So the grid is designed for constant power production with a steady stream of electricity coming out of a centralized source. I wish that I had a PowerPoint slide to show you guys. Like imagine one central circle with a bunch of connections leaving it. And then those connections are breaking off into further smaller connections. So let's say we start with a spider, like a central little body and a bunch of legs breaking off and then those legs break off into other legs. Maybe a spider is like not the best analogy because it's a little bit scary to think about a spider that breaks into additional spiders. But do you know what I mean? A centralized collection of links. That is the grid. So just to be upfront, we do have regional grids, just FYI, regional grids. So how electricity is supplied in your country 
is very reliant on the politics of the country. So how do they want the grid to be set up? Where do they want those sources of electricity to be? And then furthermore, the United States, at least, is broken up into E-grid regions, which is typically just a couple of states that share transmission lines. So if there's some central power source, like a dam, that is supplying energy to multiple states around it, those states would be most likely sharing transmission lines from that centralized source of power. So let's talk a little bit further about reliability. So what does it mean when we say grid reliability? It is quite literally what it sounds like. How much can we rely on this grid? How much faith can we have that the grid will be responsive when we actually need it? So this is on a day-to-day -day level. If everyone's coming home at five o'clock, the grid has to be able to turn on all of the power at once. Or if everyone is washing their clothes at eight o'clock at night, everyone has to be able to use that electricity at the same time. So that's like a really basic day-to-day -day reliability, but then there are also big surges of, let's say, a huge snowstorm that's causing everyone to turn on their heat and all that heat is powered by electricity, it's not gas heat. We need to be able to turn on all of those transmission lines and supply all of those people with power. So that's what reliability is. It's day-to-day, -day, but also on a larger, more like security emergency scale, that's reliability. So what is grid flexibility? So that is how adaptable our grid is. Flexibility also depends on really strong transmission lines and transmission networks, distribution networks. So the connections between generation of that electricity and consumption of that electricity. All right, and now for the really current events type topic, grid, flexibility, reliability, and variety. So let's talk about the need for variety in the grid. Why does it matter that we are mixing up where our energy comes from? So let's go back to that spider analogy of a central source of power that's breaking off into multiple little regions. If we cut off one of those lines, the transmission of power from a central source to where it's being consumed, if we cut off one line, these subsequent like 10 lines, let's say that it's broken off into are also going to be affected. So remember we said a central source of power, one leg is breaking off and then that leg breaks off into another 10 or so regions or neighborhoods or whatever. So if we cut off that one central source, it's going to affect the following 10, 20 regions that are depending on that centralized source of energy. So if we are interested in having multiple central power sources, you're only going to lose one or two subsequent connections if something happens. I hope that makes sense for everyone. So let's break down logistically. It is better to have multiple sources that you can rely on as opposed to having one dominant overarching source of energy to always demand for all of your electricity. This concept of variety actually makes sense in other senses. Like, are most people comfortable putting all of their income and time into managing cryptocurrency? No. Electricity is a basic human right. Like, by American law, by definition, electricity is not something that we should be messing around with. On another side, you can think of adding grid variety as a national security concern or something to think about with extreme natural disasters. Like, I talked earlier about that snowstorm. We want as little vulnerability as possible. From a safety perspective and also just a consumer comfort perspective, it's completely reasonable to add variety to our grid. All right, so how are we going to get there? The obvious answer is adding renewable energy to the grid. So we are, as of right now, as a country, transitioning out of coal because it does not economically compete with the majority of renewable energy right now. I'm not going to get into like cost per kilowatt hour because the price of electricity does vary quite a bit throughout the country. But let's look at this from an economic standpoint. We are adding competitors to the energy market. Increasing supply will drive the price of energy down. As we add energy sources that are not coal, prices across the board are going to drop. Renewable energy technology is getting less and less expensive every single day. 
Currently, as of April 2019, wind energy is the least expensive supply to our power grid. This is because wind is actually our most efficient source for energy production right now. Wind turbines, on average, are about 40% efficient. So 40% of the wind that flows through that turbine is actually converted into usable energy. So by comparison, coal is on average about 30% efficient. Really simply put, for every like three lumps of coal, every three units of coal, you have one unit of energy. So solar panels right now are actually only about 15% effective. This is always a little bit surprising for people because it sounds like a really great idea to just put solar panels everywhere. The reason is photovoltaic cells, so like the shiny parts of a solar panel actually capturing the sunlight, are really, really water incentives to create, and they do require some rare metals, which give solar panel that high carbon footprint. However, there is absolutely a place for them. Solar panels are effective enough to replace coal dependency in a lot of the country. The flat shape of solar panels is also key. It's so helpful. It allows them to be installed on rooftops, and you can't really do that with wind turbines. So solar panels are like really the money when it comes to converting our larger systems to more secure, diverse grids. The price of solar energy is also almost exactly the same as coal per kilowatt hour in a lot of states too. So it's a really, really attractive option from all angles. We don't have great long-term battery storage for energy generated from solar power yet. However, that is one of the most actively worked on engineering concerns of this day and age. So that point of concern will hopefully be solved or at least diminished quite, quite soon. So we've talked about wind, we've talked about solar, we've talked about coal. I do want to briefly touch on nuclear energy. It's a little taboo at times, but hear me out. We have a lot of nuclear power plants already existing in the United States, and the majority are in perfect condition for operation. People are nervous about nuclear power because of public safety issues, regulation, the fear of nuclear spills. While coal is still being heavily subsidized, nuclear has been essentially blacklisted for increasing contributions to the grid. So nuclear diversifies our grid. So let's remember how important that is, variety to the grid. And we have functioning, capable nuclear plants that are being closed for these unfounded fears. Nuclear is not a renewable energy source, but the generation of electricity from nuclear does not emit carbon. So that is really, really important when we are considering the energy that's contributing to greenhouse gas emissions, climate change. So while we are awaiting funding and infrastructure to move our grids towards a higher percentage of renewables, the American public should definitely acknowledge the existing options for an essentially zero carbon energy source. An argument against nuclear lies in the generation of nuclear waste, and that's an issue. Generating nuclear power from uranium does result in waste in the form of radioactive plutonium. However, the amount of waste that's created by nuclear power is significantly less than the gaseous chemical outputs of coal power plants. So the scale of waste is often overlooked simply because nuclear waste is solid and then carbon dioxide, all of the emissions that are being put off by more traditional coal power plants, is not easily visualized. We cannot see CO2. Radioactive waste is consolidated into tanks and then it's geologically disposed, which basically just means it's put onto large dump sites on the sides of mountains, usually pretty far from human settlements. We do have like large piles of nuclear byproducts in remote areas. Admittedly, the U.S. has not established any underground disposal sites for nuclear waste, and that's really an important thing to consider. But generally, tanks are simply watched for years by some sort of like military entity and they're just there to ensure that there's no leaks. 
The threat or fear of a radioactive spill is also not a great warning against nuclear power because there has actually been no American nuclear spill in almost 40 years. So domestic nuclear threats are fears that are absolutely not supported by evidence. So I feel like I went on a little bit about nuclear. If you're interested in learning more, I did a happy hour episode over the summer that I'll link in the show notes. We talked all about different sources of energy and the importance of renewables and just advocating for certain things. And my friend Jessica is actually a nuclear engineer at UC Berkeley. And I will go ahead and list that in the show notes because she does make some really great points about pro-nuclear initiatives. So the last source of energy that we could definitely use to diversify the grid is biomass. Biomass is basically wood that you are burning to produce heat and steam, and then you're using that heat and steam to produce electricity, or you're using the biomass to eventually turn into oil and gas. So you're trading in the carbon that is already in circulation, like within a given ecosystem, and then cycling it back through the atmosphere, and then onto the plants, and then et cetera. You're almost like accelerating the carbon cycle in a sense. Biomass energy is a bridge solution, so one that can help the world transition from a fossil fuel power grid to a totally clean renewable grid. So I also think that nuclear should be considered one of these grid solutions. They're not great long-term options, but they're absolutely going to help us transition into a cleaner grid. So back to biomass. Until energy storage grows and the grid becomes more flexible, we talked earlier about flexibility and responsiveness, Biomass can help us reach energy demands, especially as we're considering wind and solar panel pretty variably throughout the country. But for biomass to be really, really well developed as an energy solution, it should be pretty heavily regulated because generating electricity from essentially burning wood does require certain kinds of waste from agriculture or mills or other crops to avoid really significantly high inputs. You obviously do not want to be using native forests for biomass energy. That is literally deforestation slash and burn. So biomass has a time and a place, and it's also not a cure-all solution, but it can absolutely help us move towards a lower carbon grid while we do have those waste outputs from, again, agriculture or different mills or crops that can be put to really, really good use. So there are also other energy sources that I, of course, did not mention today. Like, I love the topic of waste-to-energy solutions. So taking landfill waste and converting it into usable energy, I really, really like that topic. If you want to get into that more detail, we totally can. And we also didn't talk about hydropower today. So like generating electricity from water, building dams. And that's also a really great clean alternative to more traditional energy sources. However, there is a lot of interesting environmental backlash and drawbacks to building dams. So we can also talk about that at a later date in more detail if you are interested because hydropower is a really cool energy source with both pros and cons. So I just wanna make sure that everyone has a really great basic understanding from where our energy comes from and why we should all care about how it is getting to us. So again, that transmission portion to the consumer. So, you know, just going back to the idea of like, when you plug your laptop in, do you ever think about where it comes from? Why should we think about where it comes from? And again, I just want to encourage everyone to have a basic understanding of where our energy comes from, why we should care about how it's getting to us. And I really hope that this basic information is helpful in allowing you to better understand what your politicians are telling you, what your energy company is charging you for, and just things of the sort, just backing certain forms of energy or just choosing what you're gonna be really passionately supporting. So again, I wanna encourage everyone, just think a little bit deeper about energy. And that's all I have for today. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. Again, my name is Laura. And if you want to get in touch, you can get in touch via Instagram. That's the easiest way at Podcast, Or you can send me an email via my website, lauraeds.com. I always really enjoy hanging out with you. Thanks so much for being here and I will see you soon. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.